Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome Welcome to to the C4SO Podcast. Podcast. Hey, Mickey, great to see you again today. It's always a highlight of my week when I look at my Google Calendar and see a podcast. (laughs) Likewise, likewise. These are really fun to do. I've been having a lot of fun. Yeah, so today our guest is David Roseberry, who's longtime uh, rector at uh, Christ Church Plano in Texas, and now uh, does all kinds of stuff uh, serving in the Anglican Church in North America, and uh, recently written a series of books. And we talked to him today about his book, The Psalm of the Cross, which he recently retooled. I know you were enthusiastic about this conversation. Tell people why. Yeah. Well, since becoming an Anglican in the past few years, uh, Lent has been one of my favorite seasons and, and rhythms of the the church year. So it's just a- already a, an awesome season for me. Um, but I really loved talking with him about his new book because it's like a series of devotionals that you can kind of do at your own pace, maybe a few at a time or one per day uh, for like a Monday through Friday week. Yeah, It's super practical chock full of so much information um, mm. and really a deep dive into Psalm 22 that's just so yeah. helpful for our Lenten journey. And so I, I'm really grateful for it. And there are a few application questions at the end of each chapter that really make you yeah. reflect on the things that you've been learning. So super helpful, very inspiring. And I'm I'm excited for for our people to to dive deep into this book. Yeah, so I hear you and uh, Travis are actually maybe going to use it as a Lenten devotional for your congregation, huh? Yes, yes. We're really passionate about resourcing our congregation, especially those at our church who are newer to Anglicanism and are just really looking to uh, further their knowledge and just learn about this season. If you used it Monday through Friday all through Lent, you would have a a book that would help walk you through Lent. And if Lent's new for you, it's sometimes good to have those training wheels, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. All right, everybody, here we go. Here's our conversation with David Roseberry. So, David, we are so excited to have you on the show today. We're so excited to get the chance to chat with you. But before we get into the really important questions, we have an even more important question to start off the conversation. Okay. This is very pertinent. What is something that you are really good at? And this could be anything but that no one knows about. So we would love to be honored by some very special fact about you that nobody else knows. When I was in college, I had a part-time job at the hospital, the teaching teaching hospital of University of Arizona in Tucson, where I drew blood from patients all around the hospital. Okay. And I was I was quite the man, I have to say. Quite oh, the man. Okay. St- you were one stick, David. I went okay. to the, that's right. You know, yeah, I was technically a phlebotomist is the name okay. of the <laughs> Yeah. Oh and, man, uh, I get that David, you know, my wife Debbie with cancer right. over the years has had so many so many blood draws right. and she loves it when somebody gets it right. Yes. Right. Right. Oh my gosh, uh, that's, that's a that's a great talent. Um, totally. Yeah, I was pregnant for most of 2021 and you get a lot of blood work done when you're pregnant. And so I loved it when it was done quickly and it is a a true gift. So that's very good. And if you're good at it, you're kind of, you, you approach hero status because when nurses can't get it there, I think they're allowed like two sticks now. Um, they have sticks, they have to call somebody. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
So that was, I kind of did that. I didn't have a license or anything, but yeah. Yeah, great superpower. But then I would also ask on the flip side, what is something that you really stink at that you wish you were great at? Oh gosh, <laughs> too many, too many. I I don't know how Bishop Hunter does this, <laughs> but I have chronic critique syndrome. Oh, okay. <laughs> when I go to a church, uh, it is very difficult just to worship mm. when you've been on the other side of the pulpit yeah. and you just listen with every, and I, I've tried everything to get over it and <laughs> mm, uh, gotcha. maybe a public confession is what I needed. Yeah, but, there you go. This might be your <laughs> right. moment. Todd, you, you understand what I mean, don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so, maybe this will be your moment of healing, public confession. Hallelujah. If not, we'll send you to a some sort of Pentecostal deliverance service or something. <laughs> we'll get this. We'll be uh, we'll be at your side. I need it. It's a good question, but I I need it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, David, you're a longtime evangelical Anglican, a you know a Bible sort of guy, a preacher for decades in a great church at Christ Church Plano. So, I'm just thinking a good way for us to get into our topic today, and you probably know that. Most of the listeners to this podcast are Anglican leaders of some sort or another. When you reflect on like decades of doing Lent every year, give us your sort of favorite observations of how you saw congregations engaging well with Lent. And then, you know, maybe not so well, but like give us first some of your favorite observations of watching your congregation do well with Lent. So as a rector of a large church, uh, Lent was always like a super program. Uh, It was Mm. something that I wanted the entire church to participate in at once, to do everything that everyone would do the same thing, whether it was read a book or have a quiet prayer time um, Mm. at at home as a family around a dinner table, but kind of create a common memory of remember that Lent when we all did this. Yeah. And um, I, I got to the point where I just, I loved it. Um, I loved the mm. process leading up to it, just making sure that I was in sync, that we, I had a, a great book uh, that I could give to the church. And then we would go through the Lenten services together. And it was honestly a very well-attended event. Everyone was seemed excited uh, to be part of it. And Lent honestly isn't that exciting but i i did put it in the realm of program yeah. and there's a real positive side to that cuz people get the idea of lent immediately but yeah. um as then the rector of a church i felt compromised because toward the end of lent as it was people were getting into it i was getting out of it i was you know looking yeah. at easter and yeah and uh, the sermon series afterwards. So sure, it, it was, um, it's, and I think that's just a job hazard, if you will. So I know at Christchurch, you attracted a lot of people who weren't necessarily cradle Episcopalians. Uh, tell us about helping, you know, the thousands, hundreds of thousands, who knows, millions of people in the last 20 years who have been on the Canterbury Trail. Tell us about helping people learn what Lent is and how and why to practice it. I felt we would certainly do some teaching two weeks before Ash Wednesday, we would, mm. if we were going to do a seven week sermon series or so, it would start a week or two before Ash Wednesday. And I think the invitation in the Book of Common Prayer is about the best explanation of Lent yeah. there is. And 
you know, I invite you, therefore, to the observance of a holy Lent. Yeah. And honestly, I think, Todd, if I can remember right, I think I actually explicated that Book of Common Prayer um, passage a few times uh-huh. just to okay. explain it. It's a tremendous resource. Yeah, and, I can then, remember leading Ash Wednesday services where saying that sentence felt like a really profound sentence. Like, I invite you now to the observance of a holy land. I felt like I was saying something really magisterial or something. Yeah. And I think you are. I mean, you're, you're standing, how many people have said that over how many other people? One of the most wonderful lens that we had was um, a time when I went out and I bought everybody, every family in the church, a table cross, a cross Mm. that, had a pedestal on it that you would put an end table or an entry table or something like mm-hmm. that. And I, I mean, hundreds of these. Yeah. And I asked people to take them home mm. um, and put it in a place of prominence in their home, on their dining table, on their breakfast table. And then every week I'd ask one family to come up and just talk about what it was like to have such a prominent display of the cross in the Mm. middle of your family. Nice. And the testimonies that we received from people were really extraordinary because it it brought it home. If somebody had told me that story, I would have said, yeah, that's the David Roseberry I know. And what I mean by that, David, is I feel like you always worked hard to uh, take a practice like Lent and like serve it to people in a way that they could understand it and connect with it whether they were brand new believers or barely believers or checking out the faith or just visiting Christ church. So say a bit about that. It's possible to respect their tradition and like help people enter into it in a way that they can understand. What I, I remember saying words to this effect in our new, in our new members class is that it is not up to me to tell, to tell you where you need to be in your spiritual walk. Uh, that's between you and God. But what I can put up, is a vision of what it's like to live the life mm-hmm. that God calls us to. However imperfectly we will all do it, I want you, I mean, you new member, to negotiate that in your own life. Yeah, I'll put up the idea that Christians have for 2,000 years uh, prepared for Easter this way and um, dug deep into the riches and the resources of the church but I, I, I stopped short, way short of giving people what I thought would be their rule of life. I, I think people love the opportunity to do something meaningful. There's no question of, that it doesn't add up to salvation. We all understand that. But I do think that there is an opportunity to help people or stop the ongoing inhalation of things that our culture really promotes. Just stop, um, let it go and contemplate and think. And Todd, even as I say this, I have to say what a hypocrite I was because Mm. I, however I did it, I, it was so imperfect, Mm. Um, you know, and, um, my wife, Fran, she is, she, she can flow in and out of spiritual disciplines quite easily. Mm-hmm. I'm all or nothing. <laughs> okay. um, 
And, you know, and they, there's this little escape clause when you think about Lenten practices, which is you take Sundays off because it's right. a whole yeah. I couldn't do it. I mean, <laughs> I, I couldn't start that discipline, whatever it was. I couldn't start it again every Monday. Yeah, right. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I think that's one of the beautiful things about the church calendar, though, that it, you know, when we participate in things like Lent, it sort of kind of forces us to rethink the way that we live during that season. Yes, and yeah. no matter how imperfectly we do it, you know, Lord willing, we always get the chance to do it again in and out throughout the years. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the most amazing things about just being an Anglican and following liturgy and, and following the church calendar, because we get the, first of all, the opportunity to participate in that. It's what most Christians around the world are doing. And so yeah. rather than us just kind of inhale and consume and just kind of go through the motions and the season of Lent kind of waywardly, it, it allows us, the practices of Lent allow us to kind of focus on the season and just the different tone that we experience right. in Lent. So I think that's but I, uh, Just beautiful. to punctuate this, um, a friend of yours, I'm sure, used to be the pastor of that small little church in Garden Grove. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, used Lent one Schuller. year. Bob yeah, Schuller. As, as an acronym, and Lent meant in his world, <laughs> let's eliminate negative thinking. Oh, gosh, that is so Schuller. Yes, <laughs> that is classic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Sorry so, for all you young people listening. Go Google Bob Schuller. <laughs> No, that's not. That's awesome. yeah. Or maybe not, yeah. Uh, so, David, we'd love to get into your new book now, The Psalm on the Cross. What inspired you to publish a study on Psalm 22 for Lent? Yeah. And more than that, what were you trying to say with this study? But what were you also hoping the book would do? So it's kind of like a two, three parts. Yeah, and this this got really deep for me as I... Um, as I studied it, it's been out for a year, year and a half. Um, but I took it off the shelf, pulled it back out of Amazon, redid the whole thing, mm -hmm. and then republished it in this revised and expanded version. So, so I'm I'm able to say it's not entirely a new book, but there are new chapters and new questions and things like that. Right. Uh, but it it rose uh, arose from me. In these moments in Lent, particularly on, on Monday, Thursday, when there was a service at the church, and my role in that service was to read Psalm 22. Mm. And um, as I would read it, I kept watching these signs. Like I was just going too, way too fast down the freeway and all these signs, seeing them and saying, man, I, I got to pull off here. I got to pull off and and remember and look at this. And and what does it mean that Jesus says um, in Psalm 22, I can count all my bones? What does the psalm mean? And then as I got into the study of it, I realized that Jesus not only spoke the first words of the psalm, because the psalm goes dark really quickly, but he intended the entire psalm. He meant the entire psalm. And it would be, this is a, maybe a little bit um, uh, too in, in the weeds, but it was like if you were a, a Roman Catholic and you went to confession and the priest said, okay, so for your penance, I want you to go say 10 Our Fathers, you would know that 
the priest didn't mean just our father, our father, our father, our father. You would know that he meant the mm-hmm. entirety of the Lord's Prayer. Right. So Jesus, who knew the Psalter by heart, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in his mind is the entire journey of the psalm, all 31 verses. And it does go to dark places, but then there is um, a, a note of triumph at the end. And it's really one of the most unique psalms um, in the Psalter for that reason. The ability to get into this and line by line, Try to enter the Savior's heart at that level where if he's reading Psalm 22 or if he's got it memorized, which, of course, he did, and he spoke the first line, where is his heart going for the second and the third and the fourth? And and as we go through the 31 verses, if we walk slowly and contemplatively, we can see what he felt. Mm. I didn't actually have a uh, comment on the the rubric at the start of the psalm, which says, to the tune of a, the doe of a dawn, mm-hmm. the doe of the dawn. And so in the re-edition of this, I went and I studied what that would have meant. And I couldn't believe what I discovered, that it is ap- likely, I mean, that was a tune, right? Mm-hmm. A tune. Right. Um, the way we memorize words to tunes is actually what the ancient Jews used to memorize the huge portions of the psalm. Of the psalm. So yeah. it's actually likely that Jesus sung the Psalm 22, or when he spoke it, he had the tune mm-hmm. yeah. in mind. Right. As he walked through, and those things to me just drew me closer to the Savior in wonderful ways, and it still it remains my my favorite book. So, thinking, uh, David, of Mickey's question about, we can see now what you're trying to say, mm-hmm. but um, you know, authors are not only trying to say something; they're typically trying to move their readers in some way. Um, what were you hoping readers would do having read this book? I mean, I'm hearing you hint at things like slow down, notice, recognize, but what were you, what did you have in mind that, like, what was the win for you? Like if readers read this and they did blank, what what was that win for you? I think if readers read it and felt drawn into the space around the cross, Mm -hmm. that, I mean, geographic space, where very few disciples stood with the Lord. Yeah. And as he is reciting this song and the things are happening around him in real time and Mary is there, maybe John is there, but where am I? And how can I go into this area um, as a disciple and wait with my Lord as he dies? Yeah. Or think through the the thoughts and the feelings and the the expressions of both doubt and anguish and triumph that the psalm has make it real for people. Mm-hmm. And to that point, uh, if I could just, I have a favorite chapter where Jesus is, because of the psalm, we know that he was thinking about his birth. Mm-hmm. 
And there is his mother right there next to him. And the juxtaposition of the atoning work of of Christ on the cross, standing alongside the means of the incarnation, the Mm -hmm. womb of Mary, just blew my mind. Um, Mm -hmm. The depth of what I I saw there. And I, Mm -hmm. I really do hope I've captured it in the psalm. Um, the Psalm on the Cross. That's actually one of the chapters that impacted me the most. Um, oh, really? That's, yeah. That's nice. Thank you. It was so good. We'll get more into the tune of the Doe of the Dawn, but you mentioned that Jesus only had to utter that first sentence. And, you know, Jesus was steeped in the Torah and he was able to memorize scripture and most likely sung this these scriptures to tunes of the Psalms because of his Jewish culture and because of the teachings of his parents. So those who could hear what he was saying on the cross would know exactly what he was talking about with Psalm 22. And as we read, you know, in scripture, we know that he's referring to Psalm 22. So I'd love to hear what you think about as Anglicans, since we're here talking about Lent, how does, liturgy and following the rhythms of the church calendar play a role in our spiritual formation. And the reason I ask this is because clearly Jesus was steeped in the Torah. He was steeped in scripture. And so we believe that he calls that of us as well. So Mm -hmm. how as Anglicans does that, how does the church calendar and the rhythms of liturgy play a role in that spiritual formation of ours? Really good question. And let me just sort of paint a picture of what, with imagination, what it might have been like for our Lord to grow up with this psalm. And as he learns it as a young rabbi, he knows that it's pointed to something. It's, it's pointed to an experience that King David, the writer of the psalm, could never have experienced, okay? That it is it's completely different. And as Jesus says this psalm, what, every six weeks, every six months or so, he begins to identify with the elements of it and recognize that he's actually seen the prophetic working out of salvation right in front of him in this psalm. And so I I think I say this in the book, that it is arguably true that Jesus is the only one in history that knew the day, the time, and the means of his, and the hour of his execution. Because of this psalm, he, as he approached the Passover, um, understood what this psalm was calling him to do, and he totally identified with it. Now, to your point about Anglicans and Anglicanism, I think this is one of the great benefits of the Anglican heritage is that we, you can't help but memorize scripture when you're an Anglican. Um, I dare you to try to not memorize it. It's it's hard to memorize Bible passages just standing there and you know in on on the page, but when you put yourself in a group of people uh, together in worship and you're saying a psalm or you're reading a prayer or you're having a, a you know a, a scripture passage, there's something about like a chorus that's saying something that locks that passage in your mind and your heart. I don't know how, how, how much scripture I know, but it isn't because I learned it from the Bible. I learned it from the prayer book, 
that lifted it from the Bible. So it's yeah. biblical. Right. But whole swaths of scripture, like, you know, the canticles, I just know by heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they were spoken in this environment. And I think that's one of the great assets of our heritage. Hmm. Hello, Eric Vincent here, C4SO's Director of Administration, inviting all C4SO clergy, staff, spouses, and children to this year's clergy conference at Christ Church Overland Park, May 3rd through 5th. There will be food, fellowship, and fun. What's not to love? In our sessions, we'll be exploring the theme, Confident Ministry, Faithfully Navigating Our Times, targeting three specific areas of our current cultural landscape, marginalization of the church, gender identity and transgender experiences, and political disunity. Our keynote speaker, Bishop Todd Hunter, alongside psychologist Mark Yarhouse, will specifically address pastoral implications and practical takeaways. Register now at c4so.org to take advantage of early bird pricing. If you register after February 28th, the price increases to $329 per adult. So don't wait. Register today, and we hope to see you in May. So I hear you saying, David, that Jesus would have had a similar Jewish heritage that allowed him to not read that psalm as like just a disembodied bit of, you know, what we now think of as the Old Testament. Right. But he began to read it narratively and to see himself in that story. Yeah. And you say in chapter five of your book, the chapter on memory, a quote, to read and meditate on the scriptures every day is to remind our inner soul and spirit of who we are and where we come from. Yeah. So that again, the prayer book things aren't just little discrete, separate canticles, but that this is this is actually telling us this is your story. This is yeah. that from which you get meaning, right? Absolutely. And I feel a connection not only with the words I'm saying, but the people who came before me who said the same words and mm. the way it was passed down and God willing the children and grandchildren that come from it. It's it's rich. Absolutely yeah. rich. Yeah, I've said this in other places where people have asked me, sometimes, you know, with a little note of criticalness, but sometimes just curiosity, like, well, why do you say the creed every week? Yeah. And I always want to say, well, personally, I don't say the creed. I remind myself that this is the story from which my life derives meaning. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. not merely saying the creed. Right. I am right. saying the creed. And right. like you say, I'm saying it with a community of people that's attached for thousands of years, but mm -hmm. I'm also simultaneously saying, yeah, these are the tent posts of my life. This is mm -hmm. what gives my life my life its shape and meaning. Right. Yeah. And I hear you saying that that's what was shaping Jesus too as he mm -hmm. read the Psalms and like put himself into that story. Right. That's, that's the way I read it. As I mentioned earlier, there's no way David could have imagined the ordeal that Jesus went through, but he imagined something by the power of the Holy Spirit. David became a prophetic um, in writing Psalm 22. Yeah. And then as the spirit continued to move in Jesus and, and he emerged and went into his life and ministry, I mean, I can imagine that David's prophecy became something that he is. He knew his life would fulfill. 
And there are people that would say, oh, no, no, this is, they, it was reverse engineered. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, all the story was told to fit, fit the yeah. facts. And yeah. it can't be true because it doesn't answer the fact about David. How did David learn uh, that these things would be taking place? And there's no known experience in David's life that would remotely give him access to this information. So David, what do you think happens to our faith if it isn't grounded in memory? And why is it so important for us to read the entirety of scripture Mm. and kind of emulate that deeply formed life that Jesus has? So, you know, even the writers of the New Testament knew the importance of the Old Testament. Jesus Mm. on the cross is reciting Psalm 22. So that to me, you know, shows that it is so important to be steeped in the word, but all of scripture. So if we don't understand all of scripture, you know, have a, an understanding of the story in scripture, what happens when our faith isn't grounded in the entirety of that story? Can it really be grounded in memory? Well, I would say that in my own journey, I think I started out as a Christian, like most young you know, Christians from Camps Crusade or Young Life or Church Camp or something like that. Mm-hmm. There were two gods. There was a God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And, right. and I've, I had fallen in love with the God of the New Testament. That was wrath. This is beauty. So mm-hmm. let, let me look over here. But ultimately, that does, you end up feeling like you've got amnesia. That when Jesus is walking through his life, he's actually walking in the footsteps of David, you know, how does that happen? How did it all work out? And that just, to me, it gives a three-dimensional look. Uh, as I've grown and, and leaned into this concept o- over the years, that what, what's that expression that that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed and the Old Testament is mm-hmm. in the New Testament revealed? Yes. I'm Great quote by, by Augustine. To me, if you don't have memory, you don't know your family. You're just showing up at the family picnic and you, who are all these people? Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel somewhat distant and detached. Yeah, that's a great point, David, that there is, of course, appropriately re- religious dogma in the same way at a family reunion at a park, there's the dogma that this is your great grandfather. Like that's not in dispute, that's dogma. But what gives that meaning is playing horseshoes. <laughs> with your great grandfather, right? And getting right. to know him and, and that right. sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And respecting the culture he came from yeah. and what he left in his will for me. And I mean, you can press yeah. the analogy if mm-hmm. you like, but but for sure, a healthy family is one that has generational attachments. Yeah. Frankly, this is what I've done with the other books that I've written is just go back and d- take a deep dive into, for example, the book of Ruth or yeah. Psalm 23 and realize that it it's almost here. Here's the litmus test that I have for this. I say to myself when I look at a passage like Psalm 22 or Psalm 23 or the book of Ruth, that if I were on a desert island and I didn't have anything and a bottle washed ashore and there was just this one snippet of scripture in it, whether it's yeah. Ruth chapter one or so, mm-hmm. could I tell the entire story of creation, fall, 
redemption, consummation. Could I tell that entire story from this one small passage? And generally speaking, the answer is yes, that um, there's so much depth to each one of these psalms or in in some case the one i just finished on on the the first 24 yeah the first day of jesus public ministry in capernaum i couldn't believe how representative of the whole yeah these 24 verses were mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's to me it's miraculous yeah, if you haven't seen David's books, uh, we'll say more about it or put them in the show notes or something. But uh, on Amazon, there is a series of books that David says that are they're just um, really great, practical, but insightful ways of, uh, of uh, reading the scriptures. It's really good. So, David, you started out by telling the story that, that really Psalm 22 landed on you as a Maundy Thursday reader mm-hmm. and yeah. that something in you compelled you to slow down and to really notice what is happening in that psalm? Yeah. So again, not you can you can answer this one or two ways, either autobiographically or reflecting on your congregation over those decades. How did you notice that meditating slowly, like you help us do in this book, on Jesus's suffering, actually changes the way we live? Mm. Like I'm interested in the juxtaposition that that looking carefully at how Jesus died helps us live. That's a Mm-hmm. That's an interesting phenomenon. You know, I I don't know that I've got a profound answer to that, um, Todd, but I I do know that there were times in the study of Scripture before um, preaching, mm-hmm. preparation, or in this case, writing, where you just look at the Bible and it opens a door to a sacred something that you just, you can't, I mean, there are times when I would end up weeping, just mm. me and my Bible, yeah, because I saw the, it's a wrong word, but the magic, I mm-hmm. saw the mysterium, yeah. the depth of it. Yeah. And when I realized that, and I, that doesn't happen with any other book, and I've read yeah. some good books, but that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah. with any other book. Really? You don't weep when you read my books? No. <laughs> <laughs> Called out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, I, uh, over and over and over again, the scriptures never disappointed. And then there was a period of time at Christ Church for about 12 or 14 years that I taught a men's Bible study mm-hmm. on Tuesday mornings. And I loved it. It was uh, preparation. I sort of prided myself on how slow I could go <laughs> yeah. and um, just say, okay, guys, today we're going to talk about this one verse. Yeah. Actually, let's talk about the first word Yeah, and, <laughs> and try to get out, you know, the chainsaw, the pickaxe, the shovel yeah. and, and mm-hmm. dig, dig deep. And the scripture has that much depth in it that uh, we can actually do that. Yeah. Well, let's just dig about this a little bit deeper, David, because I have a feeling maybe this is just subconscious for you and not really conscious. So doing that exegetical, you know, work that you were doing on Psalm 22, are you sure there wasn't a moment where you thought, dang, this affects the way I live? Like Mm -hmm. studying the suffering of Jesus, dang, this just did did X to me. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. The flow of 
the psalm from despair and darkness and mm. the fat bulls of Bashan and mm -hmm. the worm, the scarlet worm. Mm. We should talk about that in just a moment. But all of that then rising to a position of triumph where there's a declaration made that peoples yet unborn will yeah. praise God because he has done it. Honestly, Todd, maybe I, I would say this. When you get to the end of the psalm and you realize that David is saying, because he has done it and Jesus echoes on the cross, it is finished. Yeah. I realize I'm dealing with something that has so much meaning and purpose. I can't, I can't not let it direct my life. Mm, yeah. Um, Amen. Mickey, I was driving home from work. I think it was just last night mm -hmm. and uh, was, uh, I, I'm dating myself here and everybody can mock me. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I was listening to Sirius uh, XM, the sixties channel. And, and I what? thought about what David teaches in this chapter, because I'm telling you, I grew up cause I have brothers and sisters who are nine, seven and five years older than me. So I grew up listening to Motown, the Beach Boys, that kind of stuff since mm -hmm. I was a very small boy. So literally I can hear the first five notes of a song and tell you what that is and, and basically sing you the song, especially if it's a Beach Boys song or Motown or something. So I was thinking about this point that David makes. It's, it's a lovely point that I know you want to ask him about, the doe of the dawn. Yes, the doe of the dawn. I was so, I so enjoyed that additional chapter in your, uh, kind of second publishing of the book because, yeah. you know, as a musician, I know what the power of music, what it does to people, right? Yes. I, you know, the emotions that it sort of stirs in us and the ability that it has to help us recall memories. So, you know, with my son, we, we sing him songs of scripture and hopefully those melodies stick and he'll remember for the rest of his life or we'll sing the Lord's prayer or, you know, it, it's so important. So it's a, it's a wonderful medium for uh, just recalling and memorizing. So in the chapter, the doe of the dawn, when Jesus utters this first phrase of Psalm 22, those who knew it would know the melody that it was haunting and it was mournful and it was sad. And so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to chat with you about you know, your thoughts on that, the power of that melody and how it translates into this uh, tone of Lent in general, right? Because right. we, when we enter into Lent, it is a, it is a season of fasting. It is penitential. The joyous stuff doesn't come until Eastertide, right? That's a shift in tone. Thank you for, for digging so deep into it. The initial concept was that when Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. People said, wait a minute, stop. He's calling Elijah, mm -hmm. um, which he wasn't. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And my thought is it's because he wasn't talking to them. He was talking to his father. If he had sung the tune, the doe of the dawn, this would have been a hymn of mournful, sorrowful, this is a doe of the dawn, as evocative as it sounds, is actually the dawn, the, the doe being hunted Hunt, at dawn. Hunted. Mm -hmm. And I ran across this quote from my favorite song in the world, aside from, you know, church songs is uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. But mm -hmm. lyricist Yip Harburg wrote, now listen to this, words make you think a thought, music makes you feel a feeling. A song makes you feel a thought. Mm. 
when Jesus is singing the Doe of the Dawn tune and with the words of Psalm 22, he's feeling a thought. And that thought is what drives the, the whole narrative of, of, of the book. And that, that thought is that the God who doesn't seem to be there is there. And the only reason Jesus can say with confidence is that the God is there, God is there, is because he's a memory of every other time he's been there. He's part of this heritage of Old Testament thought. Hmm. But how do we use music and songs today? We can hum them. We can whistle them too. But it is very likely that on the cross where Jesus died, he sang the mournful sad song of a hunted, innocent fawn, the killing of a doe, a deer, a female female deer. deer. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I was trying to evoke, obviously, the sound of music, something that's so familiar to us, because once you put the words and music together, you're feeling a thought that you don't otherwise feel and thus the ordeal began with a melancholy melody sung from the heart of our savior what i love about what you're doing david is you're showing us how jesus was pulled into that reality and by the work you've done in your book you help us get pulled into that same sort of reality Uh, again learning to pause and notice um, our own life it's uh it's so great thanks for doing all the work the stumbling verse for me was always reading it over was the verse about the worm mm. for I am a worm yeah. and no man. I thought I always thought without the study behind it, I always thought that's a little overdone. Come on. <laughs> it's, that's why would you say something like that, David? Yeah. Um, and why would Jesus, you know, intend that? And then, you know, I did the, the research on the worm yeah, the lowest mm-hmm. of life, and yet even in there, you see the whole gospel played out mm-hmm. in this scarlet uh, worm. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for Lenten uh, exercises, Lenten material, Lenten uh, sermon stuff, um, here in this Lenten series, we encourage you to get David's book, The Psalm of the Cross. But David, before we go, uh, we're doing this with all our guests during Lent, so putting you on the spot a little bit again. I guess you can say pass if you want. But, uh, hey, what are you thinking about doing for Lent this year? What will be your Lenten practice if you've decided and why? For a particular period of time, 5.30 when I get up till 10 o'clock, I have to fast from electronics. Mm, uh, okay. Dang. David Roseberry, that's hardcore for you. Anybody it who is. knows David Roseberry knows that's hardcore. <laughs> Everything about electronics is going the other way to me. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it's 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 addictive. I, mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. there's so much information, and I'm a consumer of it. Um, and even if and when I'm reading, if I read out of you know on an iPad or something like that, it is just ah, one yes. click away from being detached. So that's yeah. that wow. is my my okay. discipline. All right, David's going acoustic for Lent. <laughs> yeah, you, you cool. may win the you may win the prize here for the most robust Lenten practice. What do you think, Mickey? That's pretty inspiring. I yeah. I may need to to take a, a page from your book and maybe disconnect. Well, 
Call, some ways. call me somewhere during Lent, and if I'm if I'm twitching, yeah, we'll see uh, <laughs> the answers. <laughs> All right, David awesome. Roseberry, thank you very much. Great to see you today. Thank Pleasure. you, David. Yeah. Great. Thanks. God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.